Okay. Part three. Are you in for the long haul? I am. Okay. I could do some wine right now. I know. I didn't even think about that. I know. I got to think of everything. But you didn't. No, I did add in the first, but it was just a little early. Once we started. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. Back to business. This is Outline of a Murder. Yes. I am your host, Sherry, with... Mom. Okay. Oh, that was... Wow. I'm so sorry. That was so high pitch. I didn't mean it to come out like that. I'm so sorry. Need some uh, hearing exams. Um, I think that fell out of your ear. Now, have you memorized our saying... I told you I was going to do a pop quiz. Be safe. No. Be smart. Be smart's in there. I know that. You're good. Be smart. Be smart. Be aware. No. Be uh, smart. Give me a hint. Be smart. Be smart. Be smart. Be... Hang on. Be smart. It's not aware. No. It should be on there. I want it memorized before season three. This is right, ridiculous. No. Be smart. Be smart. Be, be rude. Wait, wait, wait. Be no, rude. No, 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 no. Don't be a no. victim. Be smart. Be, be rude. rude. And don't be a victim. It doesn't count. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Is not this is not victory. You did remember, I just said it. Okay, whatever. All right, back to be smart, don't be a victim. It's not be rude, be smart, don't be a victim. You literally didn't get it right the first time, you just copied me. (laughs) Be smart. Be rude. Don't be a victim. That is no, you're sort of being all three right now. You know what? Now. Just, I'm, I'm going to end this podcast if you don't. Being, you're being rude and you're being a victim. Like you're being a victim. I'm making you it. Okay. Anyway, back to the murders, which I can understand sometimes why that happens. Okay. Well, could literally break down. I'm breaking down right now. So. Okay, adjust my ear things here, my microphone. April 22nd, okay, 1989. Right. Ten days after um, Danny, Dan and Betty's wedding anniversary, okay, Dan and Linda married. Oh, man. I know. Ten days, really. They'd been together all those years. That's pretty Never sorry. Like, you couldn't do it in May. You Wait couldn't do it in January. You couldn't do it in you know June. You pick ten days. Years ago, we might have to look it up, but I think California and New York is one of those strict ones. Some that you had to wait like six months. That might be New York or an overall in California. I'm surprised. Obviously not because it was ten days. So memory problems. You have a memory problems again. Be rude. Be the victim. Be the victim. No, don't be the victim. Stop. It's just uh, it's done. We're we're done with this situation. Okay. Now one of her friends stayed with her that day because it was devastating. Obviously, Um, she felt like she was replaced. Like her whole life, like this lady literally just stepped into her life 
and replaced her. She did. Didn't one of the kids tell her about the wedding? Because I, I thought they were supposed to try to keep it quiet. From yeah, because that's why she went and stole the list. That's right. Mm-hmm. Did you get? Did you already explain the key yet? No. Okay. Do you remember? Do, yes. Do you, do you no. need memory medication? No, I, I was just going to try to help you. Getting new You're not helping me. Okay. So anyway, she oh. felt that Linda uh, stepped into her life, took over her life, and Dan even started taking her to the Notre Dame games. Hi. Here's Hello. Your Can you see him? Oh, yes. You can't see his eyes, though. Nope. He looks like he doesn't have eyeballs. Okay. Now, once you're done with all your distractions... I know, I'm trying to get them out. Go I, I want to go back to, remember on Dan and Betty's wedding day that he wouldn't wear a tuxedo? He wore the pinstripe suit? Yes, yes. On his and Linda's day, he wore a tuxedo. I know that, and that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Why? I think, again, it he shows grew he, up he... Or to stick it to Betty. Well, I don't think he valued Betty from the start. To me... She was like a conquest, and once he got her, he just treated her like crap. But there's also, there's also some things that she did, too. But, I mean, from the start, wear a tuxedo if your bride wants you to wear a tuxedo. Right. Um, now, uh, he That's had— That's I'm full of them. Yeah. So oh. he also had to wear a bulletproof uh, vest, and he had security. Mm-hmm. Dan, uh, not Dan, Betty felt jilted for all those years of sacrifice. And then when they finally make it, Dan traded, trades her in. So, I mean, think about it. He gets his own firm in 78. By 82 or 83, he's having an affair. She only got to enjoy the fruit of their labor four years. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty sorry. I mean, I'm not on Dan's side either. I'm just saying that I think there I'm might be more of what's going Sorry. on. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, but I'm going to, again, I'm still really, truly trying to be open mind. Okay. But I know, you know, this is going to sound weird, but unless in a relationship you've had that kind of thing happen to you, it's hard to say, wow. That's how they should have felt, or that's how they were. No, I'm not saying she shouldn't have felt the way she felt at all. She absolutely should have felt the way she felt. What I'm saying Mm -hmm. is that her breakdown, there might have been things going on before she went all out Rambo. I agree with that, but I think his behavior to her did not help. Oh, absolutely not. He was a pooper to her. He gaslighted her. Yeah. Usually you gaslight people, you do other things too mentally. Yep. With her behavior, she should have got help. Her friends tried to tell her. Yep. Oh, yeah. He was detached. He had no empathy. Uh, He gaslit her. And then he basically took her to the cleaners. Uh, Now, she did, you know, 16,000 bucks ain't nothing to sneeze at. No, no. But you know what? He was successful. Mm -hmm. So. To her or to him, that's Well, for her, it's like our contract was I put you through school, Mm -hmm. but I fully expect when you're making good money that I get to enjoy that. So for her, here you're like, you want to give me 16000 when you make millions every year? 
And I'm the reason you make those millions every year. I'm part of it. I'm half of the equation. But you know, how many things have you heard on even in these different cases back in the 60s, 50s, 70s, and even some now, you know, when a man or a woman get put through school through the other spouse, and then it, uh, sometimes it happens pretty often. Yeah. They're done. Something new. New start, new career, new woman or man. Yeah. New. Yeah. And it, that's what she felt. She felt like, here, I sacrificed, helped all make it, and then you traded me in. She also felt that the court system gave Dan an unfair advantage because he was a prominent lawyer. She said, quote, he took my home, my kids, my money. He, uh, his was a white collar of beating you. If he had hit me with a baseball bat, I could have shown people and made him stop. Um, there were rumors, and I could not verify this, that Linda was sending Betty articles and ads on wrinkle cream and weight loss pills. I heard that too. But you know what? Her behavior too, though, she's a 27-year-old woman. She acted pretty immature also. At times, but I just couldn't confirm it. So I'm really reluctant to say if it's true. You can't confirm it, but I just find it hard to believe a woman uh, would just sit and take everything that Betty was giving and not do something. Right, right. You know what I mean? I do. And then there's a famous scene in the movie that Meredith Baxter was in that Linda was at Kim's graduation, remember? And it really upset Betty. And Betty Betty ran her off by taking pictures of her and embarrassing Kim, ruining her day. Obviously, you're rusty at podcasting. I don't know what's going on, but anyway. Now, Dan admitted, and I thought this was really interesting, that their marriage, get this, was unhappy from the start. I find that hard to believe. I don't. Well, not really, because I think you were right that she, that he, it was a conquest to him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because everybody in their life has had some kind of conquest. It doesn't mean a conquest. It doesn't mean it has to be a man or a woman. It could be a job, a friend. We've all done it. Mm-hmm. And when you get it, you're like, Hmm, that doesn't feel as good as I thought it would. Oh, uh, yeah, not as a rewarding as I thought it would be. Yeah. I well, see that again. He also said that uh, he asked for a divorce almost immediately after they married. Really? Yep. And that he had asked for a, a divorce hundreds of times when they were married. They They both sat down and gave this interview with this newspaper guy. And then Dan threatened to sue him and the newspaper if he ever published it. So he never did. Yeah. Wonder why that is. Uh, I'm not sure, except that maybe he thought that the, that could be used against him. Um, yeah, but sue someone in it free press. So there must be something on it that wasn't good. Well, just a threat from a lawyer like Dan. Yeah, yeah. Would probably shut it down. He said that Betty was quote never happy with him. And would gloss over a lot and say they were happy and the children were blissful until I turned 40. He said that they had, quote, real incompatibility problems. I think they had that from the beginning, though. Yep. He did acknowledge that he was, quote, far from uh, the kind of good, loving husband I could have been. I agree. I also noticed that how he saw Linda as the sweetest person he ever met might have been a contrast to Betty. Um, let me get this pulled up here. 
So this is just an eight second video of their wedding day, but I hope you can hear, let me get my microphone down, um, okay. what he says. All right. Oh, that's interesting that he says he sort of gave her a cut about her looks. Well, he was just but saying it wasn't he, her best attribute. Yeah, that wasn't her best. It didn't mean she was not attractive. Yeah, which that was awkward, but that was actually a typical C. What I found interesting was that he said she has the sweetest disposition. Um, that tells me a lot, mm-hmm. and it tells me that Betty might not have had that. I agree with that. I agree. I think she'd be very difficult to have lived with for that year. Yeah. But I still think gaslighting the cruelty wasn't warranted. But I also think her behavior with the kids. But, you know, I have never been that low. So I don't know. I know people have. I broke up with boyfriends. I know, you know, you're all cloudy. You do things like, oh, I'm going to leave my purse here. To me, they're just excuses. You know, like the woman went in and shot two people dead. You know, there's nothing that warrants, unless it's self-defense, shooting two people. And I agree with that. And so that's why I think there was definitely more. And I think people made her almost a folk hero to a degree during that time. And she's no hero. She's a cold-blooded killer. I think that, too. She, around this time, so they got married uh, April 22nd. She uh-huh. went and bought a Smith & Wesson revolver. She mm-hmm. claimed she needed it to defend herself now that she was a single woman. But I did not know this. She asked for bullets that would cause the most damage to a human if fired. I'd heard that, too. I had no idea. And I'll tell you what I'd heard, too, about when she went in there. Um, well, do you want me to do it now? No, because we'll get into okay. what she did I'll once wait. she was there. Okay. So this well, shows... what she did, but what she said she was thinking at the time. Well, we'll if we don't cover it, bring it up. Okay. Uh, but now I'm seeing intent. Mm -hmm. Oh, of course. So you go buy a weapon. I could get you're a single woman living alone. Okay. But then you ask for the bullets that cause the most damage to a human. She also continued to threaten Dan and now Linda. She always had the gun. Her kids knew she had the gun. Everyone knew it. Dan and Linda's wedding guests knew it. And they were Mm -hmm. scared to death that she was going to show up and kill everyone that day. So she bought that, I believe, seven months before their wedding. Then on November 4th, so remember her birthday is November 7th, uh, November 4th, 1989, Betty received a letter threatening to take her back to court, okay? Mm -hmm. her uh, I don't know where her daughters were. I think one might have been at college, another was somewhere else, but she had the two boys at home with her, and her boyfriend was also sleeping uh, at Mm -hmm. the house that night. She gets up on November 5th. uh, She drove in the middle of the night to Dan and Linda's home. She let herself in with the keys that she stole from her daughter, Kim. Mm -hmm. So, again, we have premeditation. Don't you know that what she'd be thinking, Kim? You know, the blame you would feel. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. She walks up the stairs. She entered the master bedroom where Dan and Linda were sleeping, and she Mm -hmm. fired five shots. Mm -hmm. Now, she claimed that 
Linda woke up and upon seeing her there, screamed for Dan to call the cops and the gun just went off. Okay, I shoot. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen five times. They don't just go off. Now, some guns can if they have a hair trigger, but you have to do a lot of work with it. There's a lot of pressure that has to be pushed. I could probably buy one time. Mm -hmm. I cannot buy five. No, I know. I thought I'd read somewhere that she actually said later she went in there. Her intention was to scare the crap out of them. She, Linda woke up and, you know, when someone wakes up, oh, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to get in trouble. What if they have a gun? And that she did shoot them. She had and a couple stories. Up, she, she shot him. In too. one of her trial, um, she said it just went off in the prosecutors like it's five possible. times. Yeah. Really? You yeah. know, and she also said she was going to blow out her brains. And But one thing that was interesting, she kept saying over and over, I wanted him to listen. Yeah. That we're going to dive into a little bit because she said that even years later. Oh, yeah. I was going to say that's never changed. She's like she wasn't being heard. And it mm-hmm. made her so angry that she well, shot both she of them. She wasn't being heard by the courts in her mind, mm-hmm. her children. Mm-hmm. And Dan, she, I feel she felt she would, could convince Dan to stop all this nonsense, but he just wouldn't listen. And if she could get him to listen, then maybe he would come back. That's what I think. Yeah, but that, that wouldn't have happened. But she didn't know that, right? Okay. That. Now, obviously, a revolver's not going to go off five times. No. But here's the other problem I have with her story. She was a crack shot. She learned how to shoot in school. Number two, Linda was shot through her head first, so a head shot, which is not easy to do, and then through the chest, killed instantly. Betty had also been practicing shooting for months before. Once she bought the gun, she'd regularly practice. Mm-hmm. She uh, then shot Dan in the side, so he only had one gunshot wound. The other two went into the surrounding areas. The mm-hmm. bullet pierced his lung. And it appears from the crime scene photos that Linda was trying to get away. So let me show you that, which makes it really sad. And um, Dan fell on the floor. So here's the picture of the, they're, you know, got the laser light and they're looking to see how, you know, Dan and Linda were shot. That's Linda right there, isn't it? No, it's a dummy. But right here. Oh, there she is. So in, and this may be a mock-up, but in the crime scene photo, so she was asleep over here and you can see she's way over here. So it looks like she sat up and went to go toward Dan. Before she got shot? Before she got shot. And then Dan was turning, trying to get away. And that's why the bullet, it went into his side and then he fell down and then it was right here on the table that the phone was located at. I thought Linda was shot first. She was. So, so how come there's no blood in that picture? It's a mock-up, like I just said. No, I thought you said the first one was. and you didn't know. If oh, no. Here. The first one was actually the crime scene photo. Uh, that was a dummy. Um, let me get yeah. that one back up. That's what it looked like was the crime scene photo. Yeah, so this is a crime scene. So you've got a little bit of blood here, a little bit here, but her body was found here. Yeah. That's her right there. No, that's a dummy. That's the dummy? Mm-hmm. But on the other picture, it's not a dummy. Mm-mm. 
Okay. That, that was what I was thinking. But was. from the crime scene photos, her body was on Dan's side. Mm-hmm. So she, she, I, I, it sounds like she was trying to get away. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Or go to Dan. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that she would think that maybe he would protect her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, Betty noticed that Dan, so he's on the ground, and he's reaching up for the phone to get help. Mm-hmm. She rushed over there, smashed his hand with the butt of her gun, ripped mm-hmm. the phone out of the wall, and walked out with it so he couldn't mm-hmm. call for help. Mm-hmm. She also claims, I don't know how much I believe this, but that Dan spoke with her while he was laying there dying and said, you got me, I'm dead. Yeah, I don't know. It might have been for drama. Or is it real in her mind? You don't know. Because she has been known to lie. Exactly. And that was when she was interviewed with a reporter. So I could see she's trying to, you know, because at this point, everybody's writing her letters, telling her, yay, glad you killed your, you know. Everybody's coming out, going to be, yeah. Yeah. Books, yeah. So Dan had told friends that if Betty wanted to kill him, there was nothing he could do to stop it. And he was right. I'm thinking maybe an alarm system would have been a start, but whatever. Yeah. Why would you wait knowing how erratic she was? He underestimated her and thought she was money hungry. He didn't understand her. Or he thought maybe he could, he could take care of it. No, he said she's not going to kill the golden goose. He yeah. thought that money was more important to her. He he did not know Betty Broderick. No. He didn't take the time to know her. He didn't take the time to figure out how she thought and process things. Because mm-hmm. if he would have, he would have known everything he did was adding to the problem and he was going yeah. to end up dead. It had nothing to do with the money. He threw her away like trash. And mm-hmm. the only way she was going to fix the problem was killing him and her. They both had red flags at the beginning of the marriage. Yeah. They had never been married. He, he got the conquest. She was willing to let put him through school. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. law school and, and medical school takes years. Oh, yeah. It's probably about years. six, eight years. Six. Yeah, six, eight I years. I think it's probably six years if they were married in 69 and he finished, what, in 74? Um, yeah, that'd be about six years. Okay. Mm-hmm. He didn't die immediately because they discovered foam around his mouth. Oh, he didn't. Mm-mm. So he laid there and suffered. Uh, she also said later that she began firing real fast, no hesitation at all. So which is it? Did you accidentally shoot the gun because it was going off five times? Or did you? So for me, if she's saying real fast with no hesitation, again, she went in there to murder them. And that was the only reason she was there. I believe that. I do believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she said, again, I just want him to listen. He wouldn't listen to me. And she kept saying that in court, in uh, interviews. And I think it's a legitimate clue to her biggest frustration because Dan wasn't listening to her, and I don't think he ever listened to her. Now, the reason I think that was a big deal, as a D personality, being ignored can really put us over the edge. Yeah. It's well, a, I think it, well, most people could, I But think. for a D, it's different. Mm-hmm. A D, significance is really important. 
when they're ignored or not listened to, it's a significance issue, it's a disrespect issue, and it can send a D into a rage quick. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she couldn't get him to listen, it then triggers feelings of being powerless and helpless. Like I remember several instances where I was ignored. I mean, I would box with people if they ignored me. But later when I, you know, kind of grew up, became a Christian, I'm like, you know, I can't probably shouldn't be, be you know, getting in fist fights with people. And uh, there was this uh, pastor's wife and she wouldn't she wasn't listening to me. Like with a D, if you want to know what they're thinking, they'll tell you. Right. And right. and so she would ask me questions or whatever, and I'm telling her. And she's thinking that I'm lying or I'm not telling, you know, I'm not I'm skewing it or whatever. So now I'm like, I don't need to talk to you because you're obviously uh, an idiot and you're not listening to what I'm saying. Yes. So I just sat back there and I'm looking at her. And she goes, well, I sense hostility. Uh, and I said, oh, you're not sensing. I'm clearly demonstrating hostility. That's what I told her. I said, you're not listening at all. Yeah. You're not listening to me. And after that, we just shut down all the meetings. Yeah. So that's a big deal. I remember another time, and this is terrible. I was with Kent at Walmart and I like to tell people that I was, you know, I was feeling really like nice that day, you know, had my cross earrings, you know, being a Christian person. And he was like probably 10 or so. And so I went to check out and there's this lady and she didn't say hi or anything, but you know, I wouldn't want to, you know, work as a cashier. You're probably tired and people are rude and all that. And uh, so I put all my stuff on the belt and then I bent down to get the, you know, the Dr. Pepper and stuff. I said, would you like me to put these up there? Do you want to use your hand thingy? Nothing. You know what that does to me when people don't speak to me? I have done this in stores. Oh, I'm sorry. It was probably noisy, but I, I came in. Did you hear me say hello to you? Well, I said, <laughs> did you hear me? Nothing. Wow. I said, would you like me to put the drinks up here? Or do you want to use your hand thing? Ignored me again. I'd have left them there and there you go. So then I said, can anybody hear me? Kent, can you hear me? Hey, can you hear me? The other per I mean, I like... I don't know why you can't hear me. And I'm yelling at this point. And uh, so the manager comes over and asks her if she's okay. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, hello. So it can definitely push a D over the edge. Yes, it can. And I think that's part of what happened. She said that she was going to blow her brains out in front of them. And that's why she took the gun. And I'm like you. I'm one of those first suicide attempts where actually manipulation yeah but i think that's pretty common yeah especially race uh, um um breakups you hear a lot yeah and i mean they say any attempt is a a cry for help i believe that too yeah so you know but her diagnoses make me wonder more if they were an attempt to manipulate but we'll get into that Okay, so right after she shot both of these people, she called her boyfriend and told him that she'd shot Dan and Linda and she wasn't sure if they were dead. He and then Dan's friend Brian went to the house. They discovered the bodies. They called the police. She also called a friend and told her. She then called Kim and let her know, went over to Kim's. Um, She kind of freshened up a little bit, got herself together, and then they called a lawyer and got her uh, turned in. Who tells your child? You just call the police. Mm-hmm. Call aid. Oh, no. She wanted everybody Don't to know up and- that she won. She won. 
That's that's the most important thing for a D in an argument, especially if they're unrefined or crazy, is winning. She did win. Yeah. She got what she wanted at the end. She did. And uh, there was a scene in the uh, Dirty... Um, John. John. I almost said Dirty Harry. <laughs> I thought that was going to come out. Something John. But there's a scene where once she's arrested, she just lays down and sleeps like a baby on the cot. Mm-hmm. So, okay, now it became a national sensation. Uh, women had been gypped by their husbands, you know, wrote letters to Betty, and, letting her know they're rooting for her. And it's always renewed on the anniversary mm-hmm. for her parole hearings. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which just happened a couple years ago, I think. Uh, I think the last one was 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, they were saying that, you know, she's a hero. She's a woman speaking up for others. That no-fault divorce thing really harmed a lot of women and actually increased their poverty levels during that time. And it almost worked. The first trial was a hung jury. The prosecutor, and I don't know why the prosecutor did this, during the first trial stopped short of asking her what happened in the room. Why? I don't know. I don't know if it was a rookie mistake. I, I don't know why she did or that. Maybe it, she was so unhinged and out there because she did give some really crazy interviews that he thought she would she would hang herself. Well, the <coughs> prosecutor was a female, but the the thing is, by because she didn't go into the actual crime, there was no clear picture of how much intent was there. You know, she took the phone. I mean, it's really weird. Well, anyway, when you look at the trial from the video, she was a broken woman. Mm-hmm. And that really won the jury over. But I think some of her behavior showed that. I don't know if they did in the first trial. In the second trial, yes. In no, the- I mean, her behavior in general. Oh, yeah, but she was, like, bawling. She was talking about how she felt she was replaced, how mm-hmm. hard she had worked. I mean, it's very moving. Like, I felt sorry yeah, for her. Yeah, those are real feelings. Mm-hmm. I think she did feel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she was definitely treated horribly. I'm not she- denying that at all. Um, now, the two jurors of, on the, the panel, they held out for manslaughter because they didn't believe that she intended to kill him. I call BS on it again. I do. I think she intended. She did. But let me play you this video, and I'll get my microphone down there again. I remember this this interview. Well, this is her on trial. Uh, yeah. Betty Broderick That's remembers the day, November 5th of last year, the day she said she finally had it. And I was just standing in that kitchen saying, you know, Jesus Christ, I'm turning 42 years old, and I've been put through this bullshit since I was 35. Seven years of my life wasted. For the past two days, Betty Broderick has been telling the court about her bitter five years of... That's very convincing. Yeah. I mean, you can hear the pain in oh, her yeah. voice. And not only that, but it's like... You can hear the pain. Yeah. It's like... You know, she's like, my, it wasn't just that time. Her whole life, I bet, felt wasted to her. Okay, so that was very moving testimony. I'm sure that played a part. Well, during the second trial, the prosecutor had her describe on the stand 
what happened in the room, pointed out every single lie and discrepancy in her story, the fact that a revolver can't just go off, her premeditation, her taking the phone so Dan couldn't get help, her repeated threats to Dan and Linda. She also had experts evaluate as well as Betty's own psychiatrist or psychologist. I don't know the difference, but all of them, including Betty's, diagnosed her with two disorders, histrionics and narcissism. And you know, also too, though, keep in mind, um, so I think she has lied about a lot of things. But you know, there's a certain point when you are at the end and her personality, look at her personality, like when she came up for parole. It's a good example. She never thought she was wrong at what she did. She would not admit. And she had told someone she'll probably never get out of jail because she's not going to admit she was wrong. Well, and that's what I mean. Yeah. So her. Well, you well, you don't just turn into a narcissist either. She was one for a long time. And narcissists never take responsibility. And so, okay, the first one, the histrionic personality disorder it's, mm-hmm. it's marked by unstable emotions, a distorted self-image, and an overwhelming desire to be noticed. A, I agree. A person with personality, histrionic personality disorder may feel underappreciated or depressed when they're not the center of attention, have rapidly shifting and shallow emotions, be dramatic and extremely emotionally expressive, even to the point of embarrassing friends and family in public, have a larger-than-life presence, be mm-hmm. persistently charming and flirtatious, be overly concerned with their physical appearance, use their physical appearance to draw attention to themselves by wearing bright-colored clothing or revealing clothing, mm-hmm. act inappropriately sexual with most of the people they meet, even if they're not attracted, speak dramatically and express strong opinions, but with few facts or details to support them, be gullible and easily influenced by others, especially people they admire. Think that their relationships with others are closer than they usually are. Have difficult uh, difficulty maintaining rela- relationships, often seeming fake or shallow. Need instant gratification and become bored or frustrated and constantly seek reassurance or approval. Every one of those is her. Yep. So she would have had this for a while. Now, the second one, we've talked a lot about narcissists. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually self-centered. They also lack empathy. They have a need for affection and recognition, which, again, so does a histrionic. It's considered what's called a cluster B personality disorder, char- characterized by behaviors that are dramatic and exaggerated, emotional and atten- intense, and erratic and unpredictable. Now, The article says that we all will like display narcissistic traits at points in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, But a person with a disorder, they have them a lot longer. They're very frequent and they last a long, long time. And it's a mental health condition. So it's not like, you know, having high self-esteem or, you know, social confidence or being assertive. That's not being a narcissist. Narcissist. You just have an unbelievable need to be noticed, and everything is around you. It is. I agree with that, too. I also think because 
she had that disorder anyway. It was just going to happen. It was going to happen. But I don't think, when I mean um, she was driven to it, I think she already had issues anyway. But I think he didn't add, he added to those issues. But here's a, she wouldn't have reacted the way she did, even though she had a disorder. I don't agree. I think but she would have. Really, I think pushed him. I think she would have killed him anyway. Because here's the deal. If Well, I agree with you. I do agree with that. It doesn't matter what Dan or Linda did. She was going to kill him. Yeah. So and why? I don't think. If, I don't think. I think, too, though. I think you're right. I think she would have eventually killed him or, or both as she did. But I, I think it did not help matters. But it doesn't matter. Like, we don't say that about other people. You know what I mean? Like, if a husband kills his wife and he's a narcissist and he's a psychopath, we don't excuse him. Well, I'm not excusing him. But it. for some I, reason, she gets sympathy no, or she gets... I, I don't have... Damn it. I don't have sympathy for that way. I just think what he did didn't help matters. I mean, no, I don't think she's a hero, and it is like other cases. I don't think they deserve what they got. But I think putting fire onto it did not help. Well, we can all agree on that. I mean, if we look at any case, there's mistakes that are made on both sides, the victim and the killers. But what I'm saying is these people made this woman a hero, and they Mm -hmm. excused the severity of her crime, and they made excuses for her. Well, he went out on her, and he drove her to do it. That's BS. But also look, it is BS, but also look at the time that all this happened. And women's rights and women, oh, good, there's abused women. It's about that. And it somehow got twisted and made her look like a hero. Yeah. Because a lot of people thought what she did was right. A lot thought it was wrong. But that women should take a stand because of how they were treated. I just don't think... I don't think there was any justification, and I think she's just a typical cold-blooded killer like all the other ones we've done. In fact, we could have included this in the season because she was a dangerous woman. The other thing I think, uh-huh. if she had histrionic disorder and narcissism like the, all the doctors said, the marriage could not have been happy Mm-mm. because you can't be happy with a narcissist and a histrionic um, personality disorder because it's, again, all about them. In fact, I found a quote from Dan. He said that life with her was, quote, pressurized and rife with discord almost from the onset. I I believe that. But I also believe they both had things to say about that. Well, absolutely. I absolutely believe that that's But again, if you're just married uh, and she's already hard to deal with no wonder he asked her for a divorce right from the start he probably didn't know what he got himself into he was a little detached too i know but we don't have to like to me point out everything he did wrong when we're saying what she did you know what i mean see that's what i'm talking about it's like i don't care that he was detached this lady shot him in his bed because she's a narcissist you know that that's what I want people to hear. There's no reason to have sympathy for this woman at all and excuse everyone, what she did. Yeah, everyone could see there were issues with her, and she was a narcissist, if you know what the word means. Everyone sees that, and I'm not arguing that.
She also told the LA Times that she, quote, never had emotional disturbance or mental illness, except when, listen to this, Dan provoked a disturbance. Disturbance. lie that's classic yeah that's classic blame and deflection that we've seen with all the other narcissists yeah it's never their fault now if she had histrionics she would have been very dramatic and difficult to live with it would have been all about her and then kim testified to her violent outbursts and hurling objects at dan at the dinner table when they were married so her Mm -hmm. kids saw her outbursts Mm-hmm. The second jury well, they found were bound to, right? I mean, they were bound to see him. Yeah. So the you can't se- hide. You can't hide that. But see, everybody makes it sound like she was a great mom and a great wife, and that's why I'm bringing this out. She wasn't. She was mm-hmm. a narcissist. She was a jerk to her kids. She had low empathy. She dumped them out of the car in the middle of night to get back at her husband. She could have cared less about those kids, and it's all about her. And so. She's, to me, just a typical killer. Well, um, the second jury found her guilty of second-degree murder. They still don't think that she planned it. I don't get that. No, I think she planned it. Right. I don't know why they didn't see that. Unless there's something we don't know. Buying a gun that far behind, practicing, going to the house with it, Mm -hmm. I think she planned it. I, th- I think she planned. I do too. And she was sen- sentenced to 32 years. Um, she's serving her time in the California Institution for Women in Chino. During an extensive interview, the San Diego Reader back in 1998, Betty painted a picture of her then life behind bars. She was at the time involved in 12 volunteer groups and overachiever, including GED mentoring and reading books for Braille readers or recording mm-hmm. books. For years, she worked as a prison janitor. She said, hey, I'm the queen of housework. That's what I did in life, she said during the interview. Betty also added that she was getting four hours of sleep. I have too much energy for prison life. At night, while the rest of the inmates are asleep, Betty said she watched nature films on her TV set with headphones. Usually, I manage to have a pretty good time, and that pisses them off. I'm basically happy here. I'm safe, and there's a kind of freedom in that. You know, I wonder, too, I thought about this when she sort of sabotaged her parole hearing. I think she had a couple, didn't she? But maybe life outside to her is, because I don't think one of her kids is talking to her, but life outside, she has nothing. They are all, yeah, they're now. She's thinking, I I may as well just stay in here. Maybe. They are all talking to her now, but for a while they do. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I think I would think that. Because if I was to go outside, I'd have to get a job. How am I going to support myself? People know who I am. It's not going to be a good life. And no one's talking to me. I have nothing out there. Mm-hmm. I would stay. I'd want to stay in jail. Now, she was still unrepentant, like you said, for the murders. She calls mm-hmm. herself and her kids victims, not Dan or Linda. She said, mm-hmm. I shot Daniel T. Broderick III because I wanted to survive to live far more far more that I wanted him to die in the heat of the battle. I let it rip. Wow. Uh, now, her youngest son, Rhett, wanted her to be released one day. He said, she's a nice lady. Everyone here would like her if they spoke with her on any topic other than my dad. Keeping her in prison isn't really helping her. She's not a danger to society. The only two people she was a danger to are dead. Her I wonder if she got counseling in jail. I don't know. Because if she didn't, she needs to stay there. Right. 
And then her son Daniel told the parole board in 2010 that he felt his mother was still hung up on justifying the double murder. He said, in my heart, I know she's a good person, but along the way she got lost. Releasing a lost person into society would be a dangerous mistake. Mm. Okay, so let me... How old are the kids now? Do you know? Well, we'll get to that. Um, Let's see. Let me move this out of the way. How do I get Mm. this out of the way? Okay. Uh, Okay, so here's her. This is in 2010 at her parole hearing. Mm Mm-hmm take over. I heard all the past voices of your, you know, all the bad things from my parents and my kids and Dan and everybody else. And I'm this horrible, awful, worthless failure of a human being. And then I allowed the stress of, of losing my house and going to jail and not having a home to put the kids. Because if he throws me in jail again, I lose my house. But, 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 Ms. And I was just afraid of... Mrs. Broderick, stop right there a minute, okay? You're worried about your husband putting you in jail again. Yet, you consciously take the gun that you purchased in March, you go to the house, which... You got a key to get in, okay? You felt like you knocked on the door, rang the doorbell in your, okay, and said, hello, hey, can we chat? You didn't do that. You went in the back door. You knew the house well. You went to the bedroom. It's 530 in the morning, and you killed two people. I went to Dan's house to ask him to just give me the kids and leave me the hell alone. This is too many years of this ongoing stuff. I never got to ask him or say anything. Linda came at me, and the gun went off over and across the bed, and the physical evidence proves that. It, and it, I didn't think of anything. I wasn't gonna, thinking. I, I don't want, you know, we're not going to re- here to retry you, okay? But the physical evidence doesn't show that, and you're here on a murder second. I know. Okay? You got convicted of this crime, all right? The, the evidence would show that a different thing happened here. My question is, you wrote a suicide note. How come you didn't commit suicide? I was going How come to... you didn't do it after you killed uh, your husband? I didn't have your any ex-husband? bullets. I didn't have any bullets left. I was just startled. I was just startled. It wasn't, I don't. Okay, so I don't want to go too much more because she just keeps rehashing it. But did you Sorry. hear her? I didn't have any bullets left. Well, she did, actually. But I mean, well, I don't know him. If it was a revolver, she might have only had five in there. But the fact that she doesn't say, well, you know, I realize that I, I mean, it just, I didn't have any bullets left. I mean, that is just, to me, the wrong response to have. Okay, I would say so. And you could see by his face, it was definitely wrong. Yeah. And you know, when she said she didn't want to go to jail again, we then put her in jail, but she killed people. She's going to jail. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's what a narcissist will do because it's about them. And then this is her. I think I think this is one of her kids. D.E.R.I.C.K. I'm the son of the victims of the victims and and Betty. It saddens me to say this, but I don't think my mother is a stable and healthy person. I don't think I don't think she has been for decades. I don't think she's remorseful, insightful to what she's done. She has never expressed wanting forgiveness from us, nor giving forgiveness to my dad and Linda. She has never apologized until today for what she has done, and has never acknowledged the pain and suffering for her actions. <clears throat> in 20 years since the incident, she hasn't done much that I'm aware of. 
for redemption or correcting her wrongs. My name is Kim Piggins, P-I-G-G-I-N-S, and I'm the oldest child of Dan and Betty Broderick. I was 19 years old when my dad and Linda died. My youngest sibling was a mere 10. And without that moment, the four of us became orphans. Not only did my mother's actions take our father from us, but it took her away from us as well. I just always hoped that one day she would come around and realize what she had done. Yet, she still not once, until today, has taken responsibility for her actions or expressed any remorse for the damage she's caused. She has continuously maintained that she was the victim in all this and had no choice but to act as she did. She defends her behavior to this day and makes justifications that are irrational and without factual basis. The truth of the matter is that my parents had a horrible divorce and they treated each other very poorly. But that often happens at the dissolution of a marriage. Nothing that transpired between them was grounds for murder or, frankly, any of the violent actions that my mother took towards my dad and Linda in the years prior to their deaths. I am the daughter of Dan and Betty Broderick. I have come here today in support of my mother's release. I am not trying to deny the heartbreaking loss my family has suffered through my mother's crimes. I love my father, and I want to honor his memory. My life has been very difficult trying to get by with this tragedy and the lack of my parents. My mother has been a good prisoner for the last 20 years, as all of her prison records will show. She has expressed remorse, and I feel that she should have a chance to live her older years outside of the prison walls. I'm Rhett Broderick, um, son of Dr. Spock, B-R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K, um, the son of um, Dan and Betty Broderick. Um, I, too, support my mother's release. Um, I have spent two-thirds of my life without my parents. Um, I was very young when my mom was a broken woman. She was consumed by anger and grief, and she was so depressed and just not the woman that she is today. Um, I, there's, there's no... Um, I'm very confident that my mom would succeed outside of prison. I... I think... No, it's... Oh. Oh, go ahead. You know, it's interesting. She hadn't looked at any of them. Right. By what we see, I, I don't think she looked at any She of them. didn't, but their differing opinions as kids epitomizes this case and how it divides people into camps. Oh, yeah. Well, remember some of the cases we do? Uh, it's sort of like um, witnesses, what you see, how you perceive what you see, mm-hmm. even different colors. Mm-hmm. No, the truck was white. No, it looked gray. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. The, and such a damage that's been done to those kids. And I'll add another interview from uh, prison uh, as well. But I wanted to show you, I want you to pay attention to her reactions. This is the famous interview that she did with uh, Oprah Winfrey. Watch her face. I don't think I saw that. Let me get it up here. Today, Betty Broderick, mother of four and once devoted wife, shares her story for the first time since being convicted of murder. It was just before dawn when a desperate Betty Broderick got dressed and drove to... Turn 40. I mean, that's just pure fiction. It's a figment of her imagination. 
first trial ended with a hung jury, but her second trial finished with two second-degree murder convictions. She could spend the rest of her life in prison, and she has joined us from prison by satellite. Hello, Betty. How you doing? Hi. Fine. When you hear his, uh, could you hear what we're what we were just watching on TV? Could you hear Dan's voice? Yes. On tape. Yes. When you hear his voice, do what do you feel? What goes through your mind? Extremely upset. Mm -hmm. um, remorse, upset, anger, what? Upset. This whole thing has been very tragic and very upsetting for everyone. Mm -hmm. I would like, if you can, um, to take us back to the kind of life that you, you had. We sort of briefly touched on it in the introduction, but you married with all of... And I, I often say this on the show that, you know, there are no cleavers, but you married and for a while certainly did appear to have the Beaver Cleaver family and Beaver exactly. Cleaver. Yes. Exactly. That's true. I thought, I thought we did have a perfect marriage. I thought, um, I knew Dan and I had very similar upbringings with Catholic education all the way through. Mm -hmm. We were both from large Catholic families. Neither sets of our parents have divorced. And um, we had a lot in common. When we met, we were very happy together. And we had a lot in common. We had common goals. I wanted a large Catholic family, and he wanted to be very successful. And we hit it off, and we were very happy. And we took the, I took those marriage vows, and I believe he did at the time, too, believing that we'd be together, and we'd work together, and we'd get through everything, and we'd build a life for ourselves so and our children. What kind of mom were you? <laughs> I delighted in my children, totally, every moment of their lives. So you were the soccer mom and you were the chauffeur? I was everything. You were the I was Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, the soccer coach, the t-ball, orthodontist. Each child had music lessons. Each child had some sort of sport. I took them all on summer vacations when Dan would never go with us because I do real children things and he doesn't like he didn't like a lot of noise and confusion, and that's what four children are, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. And so, in your mind, you were a, a, the perfect mom. Yes, yes, I was, and in a lot of other people's minds as well. Was it difficult, um, though, Betty, being super mom? Because, uh, you know, was it, was, did you feel pressured? Did you feel um, isolated? Did you feel that you weren't getting enough from your husband? Being a super mom was the only thing I ever wanted to be in life. I did not feel any urge to uh, go out in the world and be successful in business or anything. We had very strict gender lines in our marriage. Dan you know, went out and slayed the dragons and provided for us, and I was home and hearth and children and support my husband emotionally and, and through you, the good times and the bad. And you enjoyed that? I loved it. It's all I've ever wanted to do. The sacrifices that I had to put in were doing without my husband while he worked 14, 15 hour days and while he socialized after work and on weekends and he taught, taught courses to other lawyers. All of this was in the name of building his profession, building his name. Mm -hmm. And I had to do without my husband a lot. But I think any woman As a married, lot of women do. You're, yes. you're any woman right, married to a successful husband, whether right. he's a car salesman, a stockbroker, a banker, that's what you do in the young years, right. is build yourself up. And Dan was very ambitious, and that was what I, I did. I was a single parent to my children. He was never there. Okay. He didn't have time.
Okay, for me but, or the children. But but that was a that was a compromise that you had willingly made. Very much so, okay. yes. So when did you start to sense things were going wrong? Because all along, I'm sure you're feeling like you're carrying the load and you're doing that, coming from um, your generation or being married at the time that you were, that whole gender thing. So you were perfectly willing to do that. When did you sense that that wasn't enough? I never sensed that it wasn't it wasn't enough. I'm, Dan was never a womanizer. I never doubted where he was going. We had total trust in one another, as we should have, because we were committed. But in 1983, I noticed Dan at a party talking about some girl that he thought was really beautiful, and I and that was my first clue that Linda Linda Colquina existed. Uh -huh. And then it got worse from there. In the spring of 83 in Europe, I noticed Dan was very tense and just not himself on a vacation. And that summer when I took the children camping, I couldn't reach him by phone the whole time I was gone. And the day I came back from that camping trip in summer 83, I knew I had a major problem on my hands and it was Linda Colquina. Okay, and Linda Coquina was the assistant that he'd hired for himself, is that he, true? She was the receptionist in the law building where he worked, and uh -huh. then he subsequently, after becoming involved with her, hired her in September 83. As his assistant? As uh, his assistant, which greatly upset me because Dan had no employees at the time. He was a one-man show. And wanted it that way. Yes, he liked total control. And when he finally told me he hired someone, I was happy. I said, great, you can spend more time with the family. Who did you hire? And when he told me Linda Colquina, I was flabbergasted. She had no education. She, had, she couldn't type. She knew nothing about law or medicine. It didn't seem of all the people in the world that he would hire to help him that she would be the logical choice. Did you ask him if he was having an affair? Yes. And he... Said. Totally denied it and said I was imagining things and I was crazy and that Linda was a sweet, innocent young girl and there was absolutely nothing going on. Never was. And oh, and by the way, your fat, old, boring, ugly, and stupid just started coming on the scene then. He was unhappy with everything in his life. He told you that you were fat and old and boring and stupid? He said yes, those words to you? Yes, and he didn't like our home, and he didn't like our children, and it was, to me, it was an absolute classic midlife crisis. Even and I dev devoured every book on the subject. To the point of even he got the red Corvette, is that true? Got the red Corvette, yeah. the risky business sunglasses, the scarf around his neck, the leather jacket. I told him he was the American joke. If only he would go to a, to a therapist of some sort. Uh, but he wouldn't. Now, and when he wouldn't, he never, he never um, admitted the affair, ever. Uh, okay, so up until this point, though, you didn't have any proof that there was an affair. Wasn't there a time, though, you went to his office building on his birthday? I don't know if it was his 39th birthday or there was a birthday, and you went to the office. Can you tell us about that? In 1983, I, I had confided my problem to my best friend, Vicki, and Vicki said, Betty, go down to that office, make yourself known. Mm -hmm. And I never went down and confronted anyone, you know, with anger, but I went for his birthday and brought champagne and a present for him, and I got dressed real pretty. And when I got there, uh, it was about, I think it was four or five in the afternoon for sunset, and they had never, Dan and Linda had never come back from lunch. And I was very upset. I saw her office for the first time with a picture of Dan on the wall that was taken before we were married. And I thought that was really improper, not professional, and... And he never came back. And I, w I was very upset and very mad. I went home and I threw his clothes in the backyard and burnt them. 
When we come back, the four Broderick children are perhaps the biggest victims in all this. The oldest daughter, Kim, testified against her mom. Talk to some people and they say, they say things like, oh, well, I relate to her and after all your father did to her. And, and they obviously haven't been listening because dad didn't do all these things to her. And he definitely didn't deserve to die and they shouldn't look up for her for doing that. So you went home and burned his clothes. Somebody in the audience just said this, Betty. The, the day you burned his clothes, why didn't you then seek help? Because by the, when you're burning the clothes, that, that's a problem. This is such a complicated case. There's Understand. no way I can explain this. Um, on my birthday, which is backing up from his birthday, my birthday is November 7th, his is November 22nd. On my birthday, I slit my wrists earlier that month because I was so upset that he didn't come home and he was treating me so bad. And he kept denying the affair and telling me that I was imagining things and stuff. And, and I said, you know, you get rid of that girl at the office or, or get out of my house. And he said, well, there's nothing going on with that girl. You're crazy. And by the way, this is my house. And if you don't like something, you can get out. Hmm. And then it led up to his birthday. And we're still talking in 1983. The, what you're calling the murders didn't happen until 1989, and it only got worse and worse and worse as it all escalated. Now, did you notice she said what you're calling the murders? Mm -hmm. I did, and I noticed also that at the beginning she said they really got along at first. She didn't want anything to do with him, and there was another thing, too. The daughter, however, I don't think kids really know what goes behind the scenes. She probably she, legitimately thinks that, but she got the, her mom's cuckoo, the cuckoo part. So there might have been things that they both did. She just didn't see. I well, mean, she was um, a, a grown person by that time. Yeah. The oldest daughter. So she would have seen quite a bit and she lived with her dad at the time. So I think she does have some perspective in that some of the stuff she said her dad did, he did not do. I agree. There might be some things he didn't, she didn't know about, but right. I mean, he even said he find her and stuff. I mean, I, I can't think of anything that has been said that he did that we haven't been able to verify. Um, right. Right. But that what you call murders, I wanted to point that out and that they got along and had the perfect marriage and it's clear oh, yeah. they didn't. Okay. Yeah. Rest. Okay. The affair was not the worst part. I mean, it, it, was, it was the start, but the legal assault and abuse was something that no one could have withstood, male, female, or anything. But you say the affair wasn't the worst part. Isn't, isn't that what really, I know I've read articles where, and I don't believe anything I read, so I'll have you here <laughs> to confirm it, that that is that you thought that they were trying to drive you crazy. That they were trying to drive you crazy. The fact that her voice was on the answering machine when you called. And so when you called his house and there is Linda's voice on the answering machine, did that not make you upset? Oh, of course it did. But the, uh, the affair was the beginning, and I won't minimize it. It was very catastrophic for me to see my marriage end. But a lot of marriages have affairs, and a lot of women pick up the pieces and carry on. Did you think he was I, going to come back to you, Betty? Did you think he was coming back and that this was just a passing 
midlife thing? Yes. In the, in the beginning, I had hoped that's exactly what it was. We lived in a community where this is a pretty common problem with men at midlife. And several of my friends have gone through similar and their husbands are all home today. That's another reason why I didn't tell anybody. The fewer people who knew about the affair, the better it would be when we went on. Yeah. So let's get to the divorce. By the time you finally get divorced, there have been court battles and arguments and you are now feeling what by the time the divorce comes? What, I don't even know what you're referring to as when the divorce came. He walked out in 85. He got a divorce on paper in 86, but I got no settlement at that time. No wasn't, settlement. Wasn't he paying you voluntarily $9,000 a month? At one point he said that he would voluntarily pay me $9,000 a month. At that time, he was making, I think, 137000 a month. So it wasn't real equitable. But I didn't argue with him, and I did not hire lawyers and fight back. I just, I just, I didn't argue with him. Did you, t but you took, you, he was paying you 9000 a month. He was. Sometimes he did, and sometimes it deteriorated until no in November 86, my monthly check said that I owed him $1,300 because he had fined me so much that month that I owed him money. Fined you for calling up, making obscene calls, fined you? To, for what it actually said was going to his property while he was in Europe with Linda for three weeks. Uh -huh. Well, my children were on his property and they needed money, they needed food, and I was asked to come over and help them by the babysitter he left them with. But he, every time you did something that he did not like, he would deduct a hundred dollars. This is what I've read, and I think I also saw this on the 2020 report, that every time you do something that he... That he didn't like. That he didn't like, he would deduct a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars or five hundred dollars, depending upon what he considered the offense to be. Is right, that and the real thread that kept this going and held us, held us fighting and together was that he controlled the children. He had sole custody, no visitation of all four young children at the time. There were no teenagers, no drivers, nothing, and they needed a mother. And he did not provide a mother. I was the mother by phone and through school. As much as I could be without being there, I so, still... Now, this is interesting because, remember, she dropped them all off. That's yeah, why she, she lost them. I think she's minimizing what she, what she did. And also, when she asked her direct question, she's skipping over. Yeah. I, I think a person... Like her, it's hard to admit that she did anything wrong. But I mean, it's all Dan and all Linda. Wait for the smile. Hang on one second. So, Betty, let me interrupt you here. The, the, the issue for you was not then, because at one point after the, um, and you can clarify this, after this, the settlements were made, you went from 9000 to $16,000 a month. So the issue wasn't you being financially taken care of here. That's not the issue at all. Or the issue was not money, and really in 1989, the issue was not that Dan and Linda had an affair. Those were not the issues. The issue was that you had been through so much in the courts, you felt... The issue was that my children and I had a right to live a life, a life separate and free of fear and control and tyranny. And Dan and Linda would never let us have that. Well, Dan they and Linda... Okay, go ahead. They wouldn't let me have my kids. At the day that this really put me off, they were, wouldn't even let me talk to my kids on the phone. Did you feel fearful? You say a life free of fear, but I would think that based upon... I was extremely fearful. You I were was fearful of him? 
Oh, I didn't sleep for the last two years of this. My life had become a scream in the dark. I had felt like he was all powerful in that legal system, and I was had no defense whatever. Well, Dan, and l let me interrupt you here. Dan and Linda, of course, are not here to tell their side of the story, but Dan's brother Larry has spoken out against Betty throughout this tragedy, and here he tells his feelings about Betty. This woman is an incredible monster. And um, Dan had to put up with her and her greed and her avariciousness and her hate for his entire married life and for five years after it. Betty, I have to move the story along a little bit. I, those of us who have been following this story understand that uh, in, in the midst of your frustration, you did some, um, some, some things that exhibited your frustration. Going to his house, going to your ex-husband's house, Dan, with the, with the pies and smearing his closet with the... Uh, the pies, you did that, is that true? But these, these are things, these are incidents in the marriage. This is 1983 okay. you're talking about. Okay, and this but is, I just want, I want to get this and up. And I didn't bring a cake there, Linda made a cake. But you smeared the cake all over his clothes, is that correct? I put, I smeared it on his bed and it was a little eight inch cake. That's true, I did. Okay. I, so I mean, I'm, did I Did you go to the house that. with spray paint at one time too? I'm just. So that's why I wanted you to see. She right. She brings up the cake and she laughs. Yeah, but it, yeah. Okay, so she thought it was funny all these or, years later, and she minimized, like you said, she minimizes everything. I I don't know about the laugh. I, I could be a nervous laugh when I no. She my laugh. She I immediately mean, started smiling the minute she brought yeah. up smearing the cake. Now the reason I bring that up is when I was a turd and I was manipulating my stepmother and anytime she would bring up something or I would think about how I got her, I couldn't help it. I would start smiling. So yeah. I, I think she's definitely a narcissist and, oh, and she thinks it's funny. And she said, we're the victims. Later on, she goes, we're the victims. They weren't the victims. Dan and Linda are not the victims. So I was only able to find one picture of a kiddo and this is and i'll again i'll put the links in um the oh, show notes because there's also she interviews the children it was a really interesting interview but here is let's see an update on the kiddos they all have families on their own they're very close uh to one another and uh a successful one yeah, they are successful. This is this is Rhett, and I'll put this again on um, the show notes. But like Rhett recalled not being surprised by his mother's drastic actions. I just remember thinking, wow, but I wasn't really surprised. And um, and then they did visit her in prison as they were raised, but it did take a few years uh, before they started going there. Um, this is Rhett again. And uh, now Dan, um, you know, he talks about how um, she's just not stable. Um, this was, I think, Kim talking in the, the trial. But here is Dan's wedding. Let's see. And I wanted to show you a picture of him. There he is. I think he's a fucking kid. Yes, and he looks a lot like his dad. 
He does. Interesting. He married a blonde. Mm-hmm. Like his mother. So yeah, it has their nice looking kid. I wonder uh, what does he do now. I don't know. I didn't go that deep. Um, but yeah, it looks like a great wedding. Beautiful. Yeah. That looks yeah. like. Um, I mean, obviously her dad. But did you notice that Dan's brother said that he had to live with her and how you know hateful she was and stuff for years? So again, I think there's definitely more going on. So with you know everything we've discussed, I think what I wanted to do was present a picture that you know the opinions of this whole case again you know depending on who you are and your views you might feel you know some sympathy for her and be on her side because her pain is real yeah and which show you watch Mm -hmm. like you can see she was genuinely deeply hurt yeah but on the other side she's a cold-blooded killer who still refuses to admit that killing two people was wrong. Because she's a narcissist. Mm-hmm. She is a narcissist. I agree with all of that. So does it, like when we first you know, talked about, because some of our earlier conversations were, I just can't get over the fact that other people have gone through divorces and they don't go in and kill. Like there has to be something beyond and to you me, it was her I, diagnoses. I believe that. I believe that. And people don't murder um, for a lot of reasons that people do. But And I believe everything you said. I do st- stay with the fact that this was bound to happen. Yep. But I do think she was out of control. This was going to happen. Everyone knew it. Everyone could see it. But I also think the behavior of her, him and Linda to her didn't help. Well, I think that's the that only she, thing I think difference between you and me. Well, I don't, no, I help. agree with you that it didn't help. But yeah. what I'm saying is she was jacked before Linda came into the picture. That's the point I'm making. That I agree with that. She was and explosive. I, she was narcissistic. She had low empathy for her family. Their marriage was bad from the start. It was. This just to me um, made it worse. You have a sick person, you're making sicker. You know, I think actions, you have to be responsible. They're victims, of course they are. But I think sometimes our reactions or our actions to others, myself too, not murder, of course, my actions to others or things I say to others can be very harmful. But then, you know, it's, it reminds me sort of, let me just tell you this part. There was a person years ago, um, wasn't a Christian, wasn't sure, you know, what she was. And all I said, you know, you're kind, she's confused, she's upset, she doesn't know. And I said, I'll pray for her. And I saw her not even months later, and she became a Christian. So I think the power of word and behavior, no matter what kind of person or how sick you are, has a lot. It has a lot to do with a person's reaction in the end. You know well, what I mean? The only thing I would object to is <clears throat> we're not talking about a narcissist or a person with histrionics. No, we're one. not. What makes her, Betty Broderick, any different? Because for me, saying that Dan, it's almost like saying that Dan caused his own death by the things he did. 
it wouldn't have mattered what he did. No amount of kindness would have ever satisfied her. She was going to kill him. And mm-hmm. his marriage was miserable to begin with. So not saying the affair's right by any means. No. But it was prime pickings if he found a lady that was nice, had a sweet disposition, everything Betty wasn't. And so mm-hmm. I don't see how he could have changed anything uh, because she was a narcissist. And I don't see how she's any different from any of the people we've done cases on, and it wouldn't have mattered how much, because with a narcissist, by him being nice to her, she would have remained a narcissist, and it Mm -hmm. would have still been all about her, and there was nothing he could have done to make her happy, and she ended up killing him. Yeah, maybe so. You know, she's not normal. She had mental problems, but, you know, yeah, she would have killed him. Do I think it was right? I don't, I don't, but I, I do think... He he just he made it worse. And, and to me, it's still just victim. She would have killed him because narcissists don't always kill him. Do I think she would have killed him eventually? I absolutely it's just victim would. blaming, though. I mean, you're not saying not that you me. are, but it's just like if right. if you think that he did something in any way to contribute to his death, it's excusing her. Because it's like saying that he drove her to do it, or he made her do it, and he didn't make her do anything. She made that choice. Yeah. But I wanted to end, and this is why I'm talking about it. It's like, it's so, um, you know, the opinion of this case is, you know, definitely different. But I wanted to end with honoring the victims, because they are the victims. And this is just a little memory, and I'll put the link in there. And so the children. Show notes. Children are, too. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I am glad about, though, well, I mean, not anything to the death, is that the children grew up and are nice, good adults getting married, going on with their life. And, you know, in a way, really, her in prison probably was the best thing for them. I agree. Mental health, you know what I mean, to to lead such good lives. I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this is just uh, in memory of Dan and Linda. looks like Betty there. Where were they buried? 
California? Yeah. Hmm. Not yeah, so it's a sad story. It's a tragic story. But again, I'm just so thankful as far as we know, the kids just are thriving. And Yeah, me too. Sad. I think, I think she would have been a hard for- person to live with after. Oh, yeah. After, if she would have got out, that's why I say I think it's in all their best interest that she stays, you know, where she's at. Mm-hmm. I agree. Her next so. chance of parole, she'll be, I think, 89. Yeah. So. If she's even alive then. All right. That was a Betty Broderick case. That was a good one. I took a deep good dive. Job, Thank you. I, I researched. Way, everybody, Sherry does everything. All I do is sit and talk and disagree and be harassed with her remarks about things. Well, I would appreciate if there's maybe one thing that you could do, and that is to memorize our saying, which it's time to give it. So I'm Sherry, your mom, and so what's your role? Do you want them in order? Yes. Wow. So we. Why do you do this to me? We literally. Don't be a victim. You could. No. Be smart. Be rude. I can't do it in order. Be a victim. I didn't get to finish. Hang on. Be smart. I just said it. It doesn't count. And don't be a victim. No, we're we're done. We're done. It's it's over. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? <laughs> <laughs>